Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13. The Bible reads like this. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, Jesus always preached with questions, and he answered questions with questions. My dear friend T.L. Osborne, who was the greatest missionary on the planet, had more miracles than anybody, uh, he used to tell me all the time, it's in a Terry, if you want the ministry of Jesus, you have to preach with questions, and you have to answer questions with questions. <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, Jesus knew who he was. He wasn't having an identity crisis. He wasn't trying to find himself. He wasn't trying to get in touch with his feminine side. He, he had a point he wanted to make. So he asked them the question, who, whom do men say, I, the Son of Man? What are you hearing, guys, down at the marketplace, down at the synagogue? What, what are they saying? Who do they think I am? And so they answered and said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Well, Jesus just let that go in one ear and out the other because he didn't care about what the answer was. He already had the answer. He's just going to a point. So he just ignored what they said. He didn't stop and argue with them and say, well, isn't that silly? Well, that, why would they think that? No, he just went in one ear and out the other. And he looked at him with those coals of fire that he had for eyes. And he said, but who say ye that I am? He wasn't talking about those folks at the marketplace anymore. He wasn't talking about the folks at the synagogue. That wasn't his talk, who he was talking about in the first place. Who do you say I am, Peter? Matthew, what can I do at your house, bud? Thomas, <laughs> hey, what can I do at your house? Who am I to you? Judas, who am I to you, young man? What, what, what are my limitations at your house, guys? Who, who am I to you? Can I, can, I, can I get in your finances? Can I get in your marriage? Can I get in your raising your kids? Can I, can, can I get in your health and your healing? What, what can I do at your house? Who am I to, who do you say that I am? Because, see, there's a spiritual law here that whoever you say Jesus is, that's who he'll be to you. He can't be the same thing to everybody because people have limitations. And they put limitations on Jesus. Whoever you say he is, that's who he'll be. Now, Proverbs 29.11 says... That's a familiar scripture to everybody. Or 20, that's not 29, 11, I said 11. 29, 18. It's a familiar scripture to everybody. And it says, uh, without a vision, you all know this scripture, without a vision, what happens? The people perish. Without a vision, the people perish. Hosea 4, 6 is almost the same thing. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. A better way to translate that scripture is the people perish would be to say this, the better translation is this, 
without revelation knowledge in an area, you lose out in that area. Whatever area you don't have revelation knowledge in, you're going to lose out. Makes sense, doesn't it? I remember when I was a little guy, a little boy, I was about six years old, I think, when we got our first television. Now, you, most of you folks won't have any idea what this is talking about. But uh, they were big old consoles back in that day. They were huge, big old piece of furniture. And uh, whenever it would go on the blink or didn't work just right or had some kind of glitch, you know, I'd get up over, over there and I'd just hit it on the side <laughs> or on the top. And sometimes that helped and sometimes it didn't. And, you know, if we couldn't, and, and being, being a male of the species, I would even go get a screwdriver and take the back off. That's what guys do. It, it, take, take a screwdriver and take the back off and stick my head inside. You know, anytime you ever see a car sitting by the side of the road, it'll always have the hood up and some guy's got his head stuck in it. And, and, and used to, you could fix it by doing that. You can't anymore. It's all computerized. It doesn't stop us from sticking our, doesn't stop us from sticking our head in there. We still open the hood and stick our head in there. I mean, and used to, you could actually get in there and do something. Man, I used to do stuff with all those things. Not anymore. Now you got to plug it into a computer. And uh, so I'd stick my head in there, and, and they had these big old tubes. Most of y'all don't know what the tube is, but, but they'd have these big cathode tubes, and some of them were different sizes, small, and some of them some were pretty good size, big around. And I didn't have a clue what to do with any of that stuff. Why? I had no revelation knowledge. So it did me no good whatsoever. I lost out. But, you know, we'd call a TV repairman, and he'd come out there, and he'd unscrew the back and look, stick his head in there, and he knew what to do. He had revelation knowledge. So he'd fix the thing, and then we'd pay him for it. He'd, he'd gain money from his revelation knowledge of knowing what to do. He didn't lose out. And so all your life, in every, all these different areas, things that you don't have revelation knowledge about, you'll lose out. Now, my very first missionary trip was I was 18 years old and went to the jungles of Panama, and I lived with an Indian tribe that didn't wear clothes. And, uh, and we lived wildcat style, no catch, no eat. If I shot a monkey, we ate monkey. If I shot a parrot, we ate parrot. If I, if I didn't shoot anything, we didn't eat anything. One day, Chris, I hunted all day long. I was so hungry. And I hunted all day. I couldn't find monkeys. I couldn't find anything. I went to the normal places. I couldn't find a pig. I couldn't find anything. And I hunted and hunted and hunted and hunted. And all of a sudden, I heard this. I heard a woodpecker. And I thought, that's a woodpecker. And so I kept listening and just kept following. Finally found that rascal. He's up there on that tree just a pecking. And uh, and he had a buddy. And I had this old beat-up 22 that the tribe had. They weren't supposed to have. They were illegal, but I, they had one. And uh, and I shot that woodpecker. And then I shot his buddy. And I took him back to the to, to the village, took him back where, to our, our, our hut. And, you know, you know, they're not that big woodpecker and so i didn't have like a roasted woodpecker leg or you know i didn't you know i mean i just i just cleaned it and gutted it and threw it and threw them both in a pot of water and boiled it on the on the open fire and made me a, a, a woodpecker broth so i had some protein at least you know and uh, but but you know that was my first that was my first missions trip and uh 
and about died. I got yellow fever. I mean, the church told me I was going to die, and the missionaries told me I was going to die, and so I nearly did. And then I read the Bible, and God said, you don't have to, so I didn't. <laughs> and so so all these 53 years since then, I said, no, we're not doing that. But, but that first, yes, revelation knowledge, revelation knowledge. And so uh, th those Indians had revelation knowledge of how to live in a jungle that I didn't have. And I had to learn from them. They weren't stupid. They just, you know, I was stupid. I, you know, I, I didn't know how to live in the jungle. They showed me the berries I could eat and the berries that were poisonous and blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, you know, I could pitch them my car keys. They wouldn't have a clue what to do with car keys. Wouldn't know what to do with the electric light bulb or microphone or any of that kind of stuff. Not because they're stupid, just because they didn't have it. They had no revelation knowledge. You know, you know, I'm a pilot. I can go out here in the airport, and I can get in one of those birds, and I can put cargo or passengers in it, and I can take off down the runway and go from point A to point B, and uh, I don't think a thing in the world about it. But somebody else might look at a plane and say, oh, my Lord, how does it get off the ground? Because if you have revelation knowledge, you can do something. If you don't have revelation knowledge, you're going to lose out in that area. So if we were to take a team out tonight, and go soul winning or go out in your neighborhood, in your town. And we knocked at the door. And some dear little lady came to the door. And we said, excuse me, ma'am, uh, who is Jesus to you? And Jesus would be standing right there with us. And she might curse us and say, don't talk to me about Jesus. He's not welcome in my house. Don't mention him to me. Well, if she said that, then he would be standing there with his hands tied, unable to do anything. Can't do a thing. Even though he's Jesus, he's the son of God. See, us Christians like to say, and us preachers like to say, oh, God can do anything. There's nothing impossible for God. And that's a universal truth, the Bible. The Bible says it, and it's a universal truth. It's just not an individual truth. See, Jesus, Jesus can do miracles. He can do all that kind of stuff, but... There, you know, we say nothing can stop God. Well, something can, and that's the individual person. I mean, the individual person can just shut him down completely. The Bible tells us when he went to his own hometown that he he could not. Doesn't say he would not. Said he could not do any mighty works there, and then it tells us why: because of their unbelief. So they shut him down. And that little lady would shut him completely, absolutely down. Not a thing he could do about it. So we go to the next house. Excuse me, ma'am, who do you say Jesus is? Who is he to you? She might say, oh, Brother Terry, I'm so glad you're here. Praise the Lord. He's my Savior. I'm washed in the blood. He's my Redeemer. I'm on my way to heaven. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Then before she, we ended the conversation, she might say, but now, Brother Terry, I, I don't know about this baptism in the Holy Spirit stuff. I don't know about the speaking in tongues stuff. I don't know if it's good or bad or God or the devil. or I just don't know anything about it. Well, she doesn't have any revelation knowledge. So she loses out in that area. She's still good people. She's still born again. She's still going to heaven. She just goes to the wrong church. Seriously. She just goes to the wrong church. She doesn't have the right revelation knowledge. She didn't go to this church. She'd learn that if she'd go to this church. But then we go to the next place. Who do you say Jesus is? Oh, Brother Terry, I'm so glad you're here. He's my Savior. He's my Redeemer. I'm washed in the blood and on my way to heaven. Besides that, he's my Holy Ghost baptizer, and I'm just like the Apostle Paul. I speak in tongues more than y'all. 
But now, Brother Terry, while you're here, I wanted to ask you. I don't, I don't, I don't understand much about this healing I hear people talk about. I, I know God's God, so he could heal if he wanted to, but I don't know if he wants to. And, and, and also, somebody told me he put sickness on you to teach you a lesson, so I don't know if, I, I don't know about this. I did, well, what happened? She goes to the wrong church. She doesn't have revelation knowledge. She's a good lady. She's saved. She's on her way to heaven. She's washed in the blood. She, she's full of the Holy Ghost. But she doesn't have revelation knowledge in the area of healing. So she loses out in that area. Next lady we go to, oh, he's my Savior. I'm washed in the blood. He's also my Holy Ghost baptizer. I'm a tongue talker. And besides that, he's Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord that healeth me. He puts none of the diseases of Egypt on me. And by his stripes, I'm healed. I don't just have... A promise of healing. I have a purchase of healing. He he paid it in blood. And by his stripes I'm healed. Himself bore my infirmities and carried my sorrow. But before you leave, Brother Terry, I don't know about this prosperity stuff. I don't know if y'all talk about money in church or not. Don't know, don't know. And so they they lose out in that area. Whatever area you don't have revelation knowledge in, you're going to lose out in that area. Isn't that simple? So who do you say Jesus is? Who is he to you? He'll be to you whoever you say he is. If you call him Lord, he'll be Lord. If you call him Savior, he'll be Savior. If you call him Healer, he'll be Healer. If you call him Holy Ghost Baptizer, he's right there to do it. If you call him your banker, your financier, you know, I don't know about you, but I tell him every day, Lord, you're Jehovah Jireh. You're the Lord, my provider. You're El Shaddai. You're the many-breasted one. You're my father. You're my mother. You're, you're, you're the God of more than enough. Amen. You're, you're my provider of everything. And you're Jehovah Jireh. I mean, excuse me. You're Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. You heal all my diseases. And then I go on. You're Jehovah Shalom. You're my peace. You're, you're Jehovah Nisi. You're Jehovah Sitkanu. You're Jehovah, you're Jehovah Sabah, the Lord of hosts. I mean the Lord of angel armies. I mean you're 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 anybody that you're everybody that's anybody. You're the maker of the rain, you're the master of the wind. Amen. You're my doctor, my lawyer, my banker, you're my financier, you're my promoter, you're my helper. You're everybody that's anybody. And whoever you call him, he'll just be that. You're the you're the lion of the tribe of Judah. You're the counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God. You're the rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000, the lily of the valley. You're the rock of ages. You're the wheel in the wheel, in the center of the wheel. <laughs> Amen. And we just go on and go on and go on about who all he is. But see, most Christians never tell him that. And so he can't be that if they won't let him be that. Who is Jesus to you? You need to tell him who he is to you. It's up to you. He's not going to be mad at you. I'm not going to be mad at you. But it's up to you. Tell him, Jesus, Father, you're everybody. You're my source of supply. You fight my battles for me. Amen. Mm. Is your God big enough? You know, we all have problems, and the first question you need to ask, is my God big enough to handle this? If he's not, then you need to do something. You need to either switch gods or you need to 
learn some things about God. You know, I go to India a lot. India, Hindus have 330 million gods. I know it goes right over our head as an American, but we don't think in any like those terms, but 330 million gods. And they're all dead. They're all demons. They can't help. Amen. I stand on the Crusade platforms, and, and I think sometimes I say, I say Lord, I've got to go out there in front of those folks that have 330 million gods. And I got one. And I got to convince them that my one is greater than the whole combined council of their 330 million. And then prove it to them by opening some blind eyes and some deaf ears and some cripples walk. And So I, I appreciate some miracles tonight, Lord. <laughs> I appreciate. You know, I've told them before, I don't expect you to believe in this Jesus I've been telling you about for the last hour unless he heals this blind man down here, heals this crippled man down here. If he didn't heal them, then I wouldn't believe in him either. I said, because your old dead gods can't heal him. I said, if, G if, Jesus, if Jesus can't heal this man down here, then uh, he's no better than your old dead gods. They can't heal him either. And if he could heal them, but he won't, then he's, he's, he's worse than your gods because your old dead gods would heal him. If they could, they just can't. And you know, God's done it every time. God's done it every time. He's done it every time. Every time. Every time. He's done it. Every time he's done it. See, everything with you is always going to be in the rest of your life. The devil's going to stick his ugly head up. Some problem's going to show up. Something's going to happen. And, and, and then all of heaven's waiting for you to say who Jesus is. What, what are you going to say about it? What are, what are you going to say? Gloria Copeland said decades ago we made this statement she said you know the devil's voted against you and God, Jesus has voted for you so it's one to one so whoever you vote with whoever you agree with you when you cast your vote it's going to be two to one against the other one. so either you're going to vote with the devil and Jesus can't do anything or you're going to vote with Jesus and the devil can't do anything who do you say Jesus is? You know, when I met my, my wife, Jackie, like I said, she's in heaven now. But when I first met Jackie, and some of you ladies, like I said, y'all, I know y'all read her books and stuff like that. And I mean, She's been gone numbers of years now, and we still have ladies come to us all the time saying, saying you know, giving us marvelous testimonies. We get letters in, in the office every week about marvelous testimonies. We call them Jackie's babies. You know, and, or they'll come to me in a meeting like this. They say, my daughter's one of Jackie's babies, or my son's one of Jackie's babies, you know, and they'll tell me the story. And, uh, but uh, Jackie came to me just about two or three weeks before we got married. And uh, this was 1969, and we were both wise, wise old folks at the age of 19 out in, uh, out in West Texas, middle of Odessa, Texas. And uh, we went to a good church, and I was a youth leader, and her, her, grand, her, her aunt and uncle were the pastors. And everybody loved us, and um, we, uh, until <clears throat> we started getting the word, they didn't love us so much anymore. But uh, um, she came to me one day just in absolute tears. I mean, almost hysterical. She just was sobbing. You know how that, that, that just, just, I mean, just that sobbing. And she's crying, and, 
And uh, she came to me and she said, she said darling, I've, I've got to talk to you before we get married. She said, I've got to tell you something. And I said, well, what is it? What's wrong? And she said, she said, I, I've got to tell you, before we get married, I've got to tell you something. She said, there's two things about me you don't know. And she said, and either one of them would cause you not to want to marry me. And she said, I, I just can't marry you without, I, I just can't go through with this without, without you knowing the truth. And I said, well, what is it? I thought maybe she's a bank robber, you know. And uh, I said, well, well, what is it? And she said, well, number one, she said, I, I can't have children. And she said, I know you want children. And you talk about children. I, I see how you are with kids. And, and you talk about family. You want family. And she said, it breaks my heart every time you do. Because she said, I, I can't give you a family. And, uh, and she just sobbing and sobbing. And she said, you know, so you have to realize that you marry me. You know, well, you know, I, she's all I've ever wanted to be all my life. So mommy, since I was a little girl, all I wanted to be is a mommy. But I can't. If I can't be a mommy, you can't be a daddy. And she's just sobbing and crying. And she said, and the second thing is, I'll be an invalid in a wheelchair by the time I'm 30 years old. And she said, I know you're going to be a missionary and go all over the world and tell people about Jesus. And uh, you're going to have, when you hit 30, you're going to have, a, you're going to have an invalid wife to, to take care of and, and deal with. And she said, she said, both of those things could, should, could make you not want to marry me because that's, 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 a, that's a big burden. You marry me, you're, gonna, you're not going to have babies and, and, and you're going to have an invalid wife. And I looked at that little girl and it made me so angry. Not at her. Just made me so angry. And I said, Jackie, who said? She said, what? I said, who said? She said, said what? I said, who said you couldn't have children? And who said you'd be an invalid in a wheelchair? Who told you those lies? And she said, well, well you know, the doctors have told me all my life. And, uh, you know, my parents, <laughs> my grandparents, uh, my friends, my pastor, my church people. Everybody knows it but you. And I literally did like this, Pastor. I went, thank God. She said, what? Thank God for what? I said, thank God. I thought somebody with authority had told you that you couldn't have children. And I thought somebody with authority had told you that you'd be an invalid in a wheelchair. She said, what are you talking about? And I said, Jackie, you know I appreciate medical science. I appreciate doctors, nurses, hospitals, medicine. Thank God for them. I'm for them. I said, but they're not my source. They're not my source. They're not going to tell me something contrary to what the Bible's told me. They're not going to tell me something contrary to what God's already said. And I said, I appreciate you. Grandparents, your parents, I love them. But they're not my source. Your friends, but they're not my source. Your pastor, shame on your pastor for telling you that, but your pastor, I love them, but uh, they're not my source. Your church people, they're not my source. And I said, I've got good news for you, girl. And she said, what? I said, God said you can have babies. And she said, he did? And I said, he absolutely did. And I said, God ordered children in the Garden of Eden. I said, no grandparent thought up children. No parent thought up children. God thought up children. They were his idea. And he ordered them in the Garden of Eden. He first spoken words of God the Creator to man the creature was multiply and be fruitful. I said, that wasn't a suggestion. That was a command. God said for you to have children. 
And I said in Deuteronomy chapter 7, now, now I was 19 years old, Mark. I had never done a word study on having babies. I had never given it any thought. But I just read that book lots of times. So now that I need it, it's squirting out. See, Jesus said what you put in your heart in abundance comes squirting out your mouth whenever you need it. Isn't that right? I said Deuteronomy 7 and verse 13 says, God will multiply the fruit of your womb. Verse 14 says, there will be neither male nor female barren among you. And Psalms 113 verse 9 says, God will take the barren woman and make her a joyful mother of children, make her a keeper of house and a joyful mother of children. Psalms 127 verse 3 says, Children are the heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And Psalms 128 verse 3 says, My wife's a fruitful vine besides my house, and my children is all the trees round about my table. I say, You marry me, girl, you have all the kids you want, not because of me, but because God said it. See, who do you say Jesus is? They were saying God couldn't give her babies, and I'm saying Jesus is the baby maker. God's the baby maker. God thought them up. God invented them. Are y'all here? And I said, and furthermore, you'll never be an invalid, never be in a wheelchair. And I rattled off a bunch of healing scriptures. And, uh, you know, we were married 44 years, and when she died, she wasn't sick. I still going to have to talk to her when I get to heaven. I don't know what she's. I don't know what that was about. I mean, not sick, not on medicine, not in the hospital, not connected to anything. I mean, just went to bed in Tulsa. I was gone preaching in Wisconsin. I, we talked on the phone. Love you, love you too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to bed. Okay, I'll talk, talk to you tomorrow. Okay, great. Love you. Good night. And she goes to heaven. I don't know what kind of deal that is, but I, I'm going to talk to her about it when I get there. And... Uh, but, you know, she was never an invalid, never in a wheelchair. And we had four kids. And doctors had told her that she could not even travel in a car. They said, your body and your spine and everything so 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 bad that you, you, can't, you can't even ride in a car. You can't go on any kind of a trip. You can't ever go on vacation. You have to stay home, blah, 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 blah. That girl traveled with me all over the world. I mean, boat, plane, train, automobile, ever kind of you know man Africa should get down her hands and knees and crawl in some witch doctor's hut to, to minister to his three or five wives they always have an odd number you never have even numbered wives in case y'all are going to be a witch doctor or something you, you, always, you always need a tiebreaker you don't want you don't have you don't they always have they always have odd number of wives and she'd crawl in there and the witch doctor tell her not to and she'd, she'd say I and she'd get on her hands and knees and crawl in there. He'd run over there with his little magic towels and the fetishes and shake them over her head and pronounce curses, you know. And she'd go in there and minister to them. I mean, I, all over the world. All over the world. The, 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 the miracles that we saw, the things that she did, never, never sick, never crippled, never invalid, never in a wheelchair, and had four kids. And, you know, the second baby that we had, we lived in Mexico at the time, so he became a Mexican citizen. And uh, he weighed 10 pounds. And she had him in 20 minutes. No pain, no anesthetic, no stitches, no episiotomy, no, no tearing, no none of that. She just had him laughed all the way through it. 
Amen. Because we found what the Scripture said. We found some Scriptures. We found the Word. What did, what did God say and what are you going to say about it? And you know, in those early days, we wouldn't tell people what we was believing for. We didn't, we didn't need the unbelief. Can you imagine telling her mother and her grandmother and all those relatives that knew all her life she couldn't have a baby and, and wasn't supposed to go anywhere? Here we are living in Mexico and she's having a baby. Can you imagine what, what they'd have thought if we'd have said, by the way, we're going to have a baby and there's going to be no pain, no anesthetic, no stitches, no problems. Why well, we, we, we didn't need their unbelief. Now, after we had done this a few times and built our faith up, we didn't care who we told or who had, who had unbelief. But in those early days when you're doing stuff in faith, you don't need the unbelief. You just need to keep your mouth shut and you and God just go on with it. After you, after you get your faith, you know, seasoned a little bit, then you just say, I don't care who knows and who disagrees because it matters what I say. It's who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Praise the Lord. Is that rain? I'm so glad I didn't tell my Zimbabwe drought story because I was going to tell it tonight, and, and every time I ever tell it, it comes this big rain. And, and so I always give a disclaimer and say, now, this is not my fault. So I'm so glad that this happened without me doing anything. So I, it is not my fault. My, my, my. God has done so many miracles. It always comes back down to who do you say? Jesus is. Who is he to you? Because he'll be something to you and he may be something else to your neighbor or to your mama or to your sister or to you, you know? But I tell you, the more things you can you can see in the word that he is, the more things you can declare out of your mouth that he is, the further down the road you are. You know, after we had that second baby, I, actually at the same time as she gave birth to that baby, uh, her mother had come down to stay with us in Mexico. We lived in Guadalajara, Mexico, and so her mother came down for the birth of the baby. And so she had the baby in 20 minutes, no no pain, no, nothing, and she's doing great. And, and so I just said to her uh, there in the hospital, I said, you know what, since you're great and you did this so cool and so supernatural and so marvelous and there's no problems and, and uh, your mom's here uh, to help you, I said, I, I, I need to go to the States to pick up some equipment that people had bought us for our ministry, an organ and a PA system and stuff for our ministry. And I said, I said, I ought to go while your mom's here to help you. So what do you think about that? She said, that'd be, that'd be great. Go ahead. And so I took off, for the, jumped in the car and took off to, to Houston. And about 1,000 miles from, the, from Guadalajara to the border and then another four hours on up to Houston. And so I did that. I drove all the way up there and, Took a, took a friend of mine with me, a missionary friend of mine with me, and he said, uh, he said on the way to me <laughs> as we were driving, uh, he said, he said, Terry, you know, as missionaries, he said, you know, we just, uh, our reasonable service is just to suffer for God and maybe die for God, and we're down here to help people, and, 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 and there's no telling what might happen to us, and that's just our reasonable service. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you know, he said, we, we might, you know, we go someplace, we, get, we go sleep at some village, we get bed bugs and get all kind of bugs on us, or, there, or you know, we, we eat bad food and get sick, or, or, or you know, we, we, we don't have any money. And, and uh, he said, you know, we might even be preaching somewhere and some guy shoot us and uh, kill us. And he said, that's just our reasonable service. And then I'm driving and he's talking. And finally I looked at him after a while and I said, I said, are you finished? 
And he said, well, I, I guess so. Why? And I said, well, buddy, I don't know what page of the missionary handbook you got all that stuff out of. But you didn't get it from the Bible. You didn't get it from the Word of God. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I said, everything you said, all that stuff's under the curse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. We're free from it. And I said, you know, I, I learned in the jungles of Panama how to believe God not to get bugs on me. I said, man, there's bugs that you know not of in that jungle of Panama. I mean, there's some serious bugs in there. And I said, I never got a bug on me. I said, the, uh, the, the, the rivers are full of leeches. I, I bathed in the rivers, went in the rivers all the time, never got a leech on me. In fact, in fact, in fact I, with the missionary that lived there, he and I went on a trip one day and went down through a river and, and came back up the other side. He was literally covered with leeches. I didn't have a leech on me. And because I'd been praying about it, I said, Lord, and Psalms 91 says, I'm delivered from the noisome pestilence, and, and leeches are, are, are pests, and I, I'm not going to take that. And the, the, the tribe literally had to hold him down, seriously, and take hunting knives and scrape his body. I mean, scrape leeches off him. And I never had a bug, never had a leech, nothing. And I said, as far as eating bad food, I said, you know, uh, the word says we eat any deadly thing, it won't hurt us. Drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt us. Uh, God said he'd bless our bread and water and take sickness from our midst. And I said, you know, you don't have to be real spiritual to know when they serve you something in the village, they serve you a piece of meat, and it's green, and it stinks. You don't have to be real spiritual to know it's bad. I mean, this is rotten meat, you know. And I said, you know, but I eat it and don't get sick. And uh, not going to get sick. And I said, as far as some guy shooting us, I said, who have we helped? I said, if we're in preaching in a village and some guy comes along and shoots us, I said, who have we helped? We hadn't helped the village where we was preaching. They found out what we're preaching doesn't work. Hadn't helped the guy that shot us. We just added murder to his problems. Hadn't helped their wife and kids. They they never they don't know where we're at. Never see us again. Never see the car again. I mean, they just we just disappeared. I said, Who have we helped? What good does that do the gospel? What good does that do God? I said, Some guy pulls a gun on me. I'm going to use the word of God on him and win. Well, little did I know. Then on the way back into Mexico, I picked up the stuff, the organ PA system. Came back into Mexico. Some of y'all heard this story. It's an old, old story, and lots of preachers tell it, and lots of preachers put it in their books. And I've even heard it told sometimes where I think, that's got to be my story. It's got enough details in there. It's, I know it's my story, but that is nowhere close to what happened. But anyway, brought it back into the country, which is illegal in the first place, bringing that stuff back into Mexico. I had to go to five different border crossings to get it across, and every one of them told me I couldn't get it across. And Finally, I got to the last guy, and he came out and said, well, you finally arrived. I've been expecting you. They called me and said, you're working your way down the border. And he said, you can't, you can't bring that stuff in here. By that time, I was so tired and so mad. I just got out, and I said, I said listen, I'm a missionary. I'm living in your country. I'm, I'm helping your nation. I'm telling people about Jesus. If you guys don't quit hassling the missionaries, God's going to pull all the missionaries out of Mexico, and the fire of God's going to fall on this place and consume the whole bunch of them, and you're all going to hell. He said, well, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so I went ahead. And I and I got down, I got down to this little town called uh, called Zacatecas. Now Zacatecas is a big place now, but back then it's just a sleepy little town. It's the capital of the state of Zacatecas. Like I said, it's just little back then, big place now. And 
uh, I spent the night there because the next day, I, I mean, because I, from between there and Guadalajara, there's a lot of real dangerous mountain curves, and I didn't want to tackle that. It was midnight when I got in there, and I thought, I better get some sleep. And so I just spent the night. I got up the next morning and uh, checked out and went down to the gas station and filled my car up with gas, and which only left me with $2. I'd spent all my money in Houston on stuff to bring back for my, for my wife and my babies. And, uh, and so here I've got two bucks and coming back. And uh, so, so I grabbed a tape of Kenneth Copeland's out of the glove compartment and just stuck it in the tape player. And Kenneth just started preaching. He was preaching on the integrity of the word of God. And so he's preaching, and I'm, I drive out of town and get to the highway. And, and so I, I make a left turn to get out onto the highway. And just as I turn, there's a Mexican man standing over there by the side of the road hitchhiking. And so I thought, well, you know what? I ought to pick that guy up, tell him about Jesus. That's what I'm down here for. And so I just pulled over and picked him up. He got in the car. We took off down the road. And I'm, I'm driving pretty fast, about 80, 85 miles an hour on a straightaway because we're about to hit the mountains down here. And... Uh, and so, uh, and I'm not paying any attention to him. I'm just thinking in Spanish because I'm going to have to witness to him in Spanish. So I'm getting my Spanish together to tell him what I want to tell him. And, uh, and Kenneth's just preaching. And so I finally figured out what I wanted to say, and I turned to say it to him. And when I did, he just reached inside his coat and pulled out a pistol. And he cocked the hammer on the pistol, and he reached over and just shoved it hard into my ribs, just, just jabbed me hard with that thing. Like that. And he reached up and grabbed my collar with his left hand. So I'm driving the car, and he's got my—he's got me pulled over like this by my collar, and got that gun here, and he screamed at me, and he said, "I'm going to kill you," only in Spanish. "Te voy a matar," and it made me mad. Now I'm 24 years old. I got a wife and two babies. I'm—I'm I'm, I'm a missionary. I'm believing God, and this knothead thinks he's going to kill me, and so uh, it just made me mad. And I said, "I'm a man of God, and I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me." Well, it made him mad. And so he poked me at that gun again, yanked on my collar. He said, I said, I'm going to kill you. And I said, and I said, I'm a man of God, and I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. Well, we going down the highway like this. And Kenneth's still preaching. I just let him preach. I figured if every time I need to hear that, this would be a good time, <laughs> the integrity of the word of God. And so uh, we're going down the highway on this straight part of the highway. And, uh, and he, he says to me, what's the matter with you? Aren't you scared? No tienes miedo? You know, see, they want you to fear. The devil always wants you to get in fear, whether it's COVID or whether it's a gun in your gut. It doesn't make a bit of difference. Fear is the, is the weapon of hell. And uh, he said, what's the matter with you? Aren't you scared? And I said, no, I'm not scared. Why should I be scared? All you've got is a loaded gun. I've got the name of Jesus. I win. Well, that made no sense to him whatsoever. You know, the Bible says a carnal mind is an enemy of God, is an enmity against God or is an enemy of God. You know, the, the world just doesn't understand what you are talking about. That's why it's so bad and so dumb and so wrong when, when somebody runs to the news media to air the church's dirty laundry because the news media will never understand the church. They'll never, never, ever, ever understand the church. It doesn't make a bit of... Even, when, even though they've got computers nowadays, their phone's a computer, and they can punch in 15 verses on faith or love or joy, and they can pull those scriptures up, they don't have a clue what they mean. They don't have a clue what that means. It's just, it's just pearls before swine. And so this guy had no clue what I was talking about, and I knew that, but it didn't bother me. It's not my fault. 
not my problem. Because I, I, I'm talking to that demon in him. That demon knows what I'm talking about. And so uh, everything he said to me, I turned right around with the word and told him what the word said. And that made him mad. Every time it made him mad. And he'd tell me something he's going to do, how he's going to kill me, or what he's going to do. I'd, no. And I'd tell him what the word said. That made him mad. And Kenneth's still preaching. And so uh, I said to the Lord out loud in English, I said, uh, I said, Father, Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, that he gave me authority or power over all, A-W-L, all the power of the enemy and nothing. And I spelled it for God. I don't know why I spelled it, but I did. I said nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, no thing shall by any means hurt me. I said that means this man, his gun, his bullets cannot hurt me. And I said, and if he pulls the trigger, I expect that you must, M-U-S-T, must do something with the bullets for your covenant's sake. This isn't about me. It's about your covenant. And you're the faithful God that keepeth covenant. This is all about your covenant. And I said, and you don't have much room to work with seeing his gun barrels up against my side. And... Uh, and he reached down. I had a couple of microphones. Oh, they, they were corded back in those days. They had cords on them. And I had a couple of microphones in the seat between the two of us. And he reached down, picked up one of them, and looked at it. I said, put that down. It belongs to God. And he put it down. I said, everything in this car belongs to God. The car belongs to God. I belong to God. You can't have any of it. Well, that made him mad. And so we're just going down the highway, and this is not getting, he's not getting any happier. Everything I'm saying is making him more angry and more angry and more angry. And I'm just praying in the tongues, bringing the Holy Ghost whenever I'm not talking him in Spanish and uh, finally he said uh, pull off the road get off the road and he pointed over to the right hand side of the road and there's a cornfield big cornfield over there so I pulled off into this cornfield and he said get out so I got out of the car on my side and he got out of the car on his side and we walked around to the front and I just leaned up against the front of my car and I'm just praying in tongues you know and I'm just standing like this just trying to hear from God and trying to know what what to I mean, I'm 24 years old I don't have all the answers in I don't have them all today I just knew use the blood use the name use the word use the covenant use the Holy Ghost and then do it again 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 and brother Coben used to always tell us back in those days he'd always say it's not a nine inning ball game you just play till you win so I'm, I was thinking this isn't a nine inning ball game I won't keep playing till I win and so uh, he, he came, got stood there in front of me, and I'm leaning against the car, and he said, give me your money, your watch, your jewelry, your rings, give me your sunglasses, give me, give me that stuff. And so uh, I took it out, and he said, put it on the ground. So I, I walked up there and put it on the ground. I walked back and leaned up against the car, praying in the Holy Ghost, trying to hear from God. So he came up and squatted down, picked it up, walked up close to me. When he did, I stuck my finger right in his face. And I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And when I did that, he hit me with that gun barrel. I mean, he took his pistol like that, and he popped me. It hurt, man. He hit me right right like that and just knocked me back over my car on the hood. And then he stuck his gun barrel right down on my forehead, you know, like this, and hammer cock, and he's screaming his left hand. He's slinging like this. And he said, shut up. If you say one more word, I'll kill you. And I just pushed myself up off the car and stepped into him and stuck my finger in his face. I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You can't kill me. You can't hurt me in any way. And when I did that, Pastor, he just he just jumped backwards. We were nose to nose. He just jumped backwards a couple of steps. Close as I am to you right here. Just jumped back a couple of steps and just lowered the gun point blank at my midsection and shot at me five times. 
I counted them five times. And uh, the bullets didn't hit me. I don't know what happened to the bullets. They didn't hit my car. They didn't, they didn't do anything. They just, I don't know what happened. And uh, so five times he fired. And so I'm just standing there looking at him, and I think I'm trying to figure out what just happened. And he's standing there looking at me, and I know he's trying to figure out what just happened. And so we just stood there and looked at each other, and he backed away, so a little, backed up a little ways and reached in his pocket and got some more bullets, and he reloaded his gun. I just stood there praying in the Holy Ghost. And so he said, uh, he came back up to me, and he said, uh, start walking, walk out there. So I walked out there in the cornfield. We walked, uh, he walked behind me, and we must have gone maybe 100 yards. It was a long way, a long way from the car uh, out there in this cornfield. And he said, stop. And I stopped. He said, take your clothes off. So I took my, my slacks and my, my shirt and my slacks and my shoes. I left my underwear and my socks on. And, uh, and he picked up my clothes and uh, had my car keys. And he said, you stay here. Don't you move. Don't you do anything. You stay right here. And he just around and walked off. And uh, I stood there and said, uh, I said, Father, he couldn't kill me. And you did a miracle. And I appreciate it. But he can no more rob me than he could kill me. He can't do it. It's a violation of your word. It's a violation of your covenant. It's not right. And I guess I kept waiting for something to happen and nothing happened. I kept waiting for, I don't know, a fire from heaven, an angel. I don't know what I kept waiting for. But, but he's still walking into my car. And he's about there. And I'm still standing there in my underwear and my socks. And uh, <laughs> Brother John Osteen, Joel's daddy, brother, the original house of Osteen, uh, Brother Osteen used to tell this story a lot. In fact, he put out a tape on it. Uh, and he said, And there stood Terry Myers, God's man of faith and power, in a cornfield in his underwear. <laughs> T.L. Osborne used to always tell me, he'd say, he'd say, Terry, he said, uh, when I tell it, it's better. I said, well, I know it's better. You're T.L. Osborne. I said, when you tell it, it's better. When John Osteen tells it, it's better. I said, but when I tell it, it's true. I said, you guys kind of embellish it a little bit, you know, and help the Holy Ghost out a little bit. I said, There's only one guy. He only had one gun. He wasn't five guys with a machine gun. You know, there's one guy with a pistol. And he said, he said, and I tell it like this. I say, and there stood Terry Mize, buck naked in the cornfield. I said, T.L., I wasn't buck naked. I had on my underwear and my shorts, my, my underwear and my socks. And he said, yeah, but it just sounds better to say you're buck naked. I said, well, it's not true. But anyway, this guy's almost to the car. And so uh, I just cut my, my hands like this and hold them to it now. And I said, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, come back here. And he never broke his stride. He just walked like he just did like a turn and walked right back out there to where I was. Now, T.L. always told me, he said, Terry, that's my favorite part of the story. He said, because it, it proves you weren't scared. You called him back with his gun. And he said, most of us have been so glad. Let him take the clothes. Let him take the car. God saved your life. That's wonderful. Let him go. Get rid of him. But he said, you called him back with his gun. He said, that proves you weren't scared. I said, no, sir, I wasn't scared. So I was mad, but I wasn't scared. I was righteously indignant that he, he, the devil would do something like that to a man of God, to a missionary, but I, 
I said, I wasn't scared. And so he came all the way back out there. I just stood there, and he came all the way back out to where I was. And he threw my clothes at me. He said, put them on. So I slipped my pants and my shirt back on, my shoes. And uh, he said, what is it you want to talk to me about? Like I'd made an appointment, you know. And uh, I said, I, I don't want to talk to you about anything else. I said, uh, I'm going home. And they have a saying in Spanish, my house is your house, mi casa, su casa. I said, I said, if you want to go home with me, mi casa, su casa, I'll take you home with me. I said, now I've got a wife and two babies at my house, so you can't take your gun. But, but you can go home with me. I'll help you. Any way I can help you. And uh, he just looked at me and shook his head. He said, you know, I like you. <laughs> he stuck his gun in his belt. And he said, I'm going to put my trust in you, my confidence in you in Spanish. And so we walked back up to the car together. When we got to the car, he pulled his gun out and stuck it right in my belly. And he said, you sit in the back. I'm driving. I said, no, I told you we're not doing this anymore. We're not doing your deal. I said, it's my car. I'm driving. I'm going home. You can go home with me. You're welcome. Or you can stay here. But I'm leaving now in the name of Jesus. Give me my keys. And so I walked around to my side of the car and got in. He's still standing over there. I said, are you going? So he got in the car, and we took off down the highway. And I, I did what I had intended to do in the first place. I told him about Jesus. And uh, finally, we got down to this little crossroads, a uh, little intersection, and there were three policemen leaning up against a, a police car. They had just stopped there at the intersection. And uh, he pulled his gun out. He said, now, don't you attract them. I'll kill them. I'll kill you first, and as many of them as I can before they kill me. And I said, I don't need them. I said, I've got the name of Jesus. I win. He said, oh, yeah. He put his gun back up. And so we went down another few miles, and he showed me this dirt road, and he said, I can't go to Guadalajara with you. I can't go home with you. He said, I've got friends up here in the mountains in the Sierras. He said, turn here and take me up there. And I said, okay. So I turned, and I thought, that's all I need, some of his friends. And so uh, so I turned and went up there. And, and I didn't look at my watch. Well, I had given him my watch. I don't have a watch. And so I, I don't know what how long it took. And I didn't look at the odometer, so I don't know how far we went. But just in my head, I've always thought it was about 30 minutes. We just made a little winding dirt mountain road going up the mountain. And uh, and finally, I just stopped. And I said, um, hey, buddy. His name was Oscar. I said, hey, Oscar. I said, uh, I'm going home. I said, I've only got enough gas to get home. I gave you all my money. I only had $2. If I had more money, I'd give it to you, but I didn't. But I don't have any money for gas. And uh, I'm going home. And I said, if you want to go home with me, Mikasa Sukasa, if you want to stay here, fine. But I'm 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 not going any further. And he said, Okay, I'll I'll get out. And I said, Okay. So I just turned the car off and I went back and the back and pulled some things out I'd bought for Jackie and like like a electric blow dryer and a curling iron and stuff like that that I knew he could sell and get some money. That stuff's really expensive in Mexico. So I said, Here, this and it's still in the box, brand new. I said, Here, you can take this stuff and uh sell it and get you some money. I don't have any money to give you, but he said, you're giving me that? I said, well, sure, I'll, I'll give you. So he reached in his pocket and pulled out my money and, I mean, my watch and my rings and my billfold and all that stuff. And he said, well, here. And I said, no, you can have that. And he said, you're giving it to me? And I said, buddy, I'd give you about anything I got, but you can't steal from me. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, give me back my, give me back my wedding ring and give me back my wallet that's got my wife and kids' pictures in it and my driver's license and stuff like that. And I said, you can keep the jewelry and the, the other stuff. And so uh, so we did. And uh, I said, now I'm going to pray for you before I leave. And I said, the Bible says lay hands on people when you pray, so I'm going to put my hand on your head. He said, okay. And so he pulled the gun out and stuck it in my belly. I put my hand on his head and prayed for him. 
And when I finished praying, then I took my hand down, and she took the gunny away. And, and then he said, uh, my mother's really sick. And I said, you want me to pray for your mother? He said, yeah. So he pulls his, I said, okay, I'm going to lay hands. So, I, so he pulls his gun out, stuck it in my belly. I put my hand on his head and prayed for his mother. And then I told him where he could find me. I said, now look, I said, I've started a church in Guadalajara at the Hilton Hotel. So there's only one Hilton Hotel in town. I said, you can find me any Sunday, every Sunday, at the Hilton Hotel, morning and night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And so if you need to find me, you, that's, you can find me. And so uh, I left him standing there, and I drove home. And that night, I slept in my bed with my wife and my two babies. And that guy sat up in the mountains of Mexico wondering what happened. And what happened was the integrity of the Word of God. Amen. And I've never seen him again, never heard from him again. I always was, I've always hoped that I'd hear about this. Here's a Mexican evangelist preaching, talking about how he got saved in a cornfield with a crazy gringo. But uh, now other people have told that he got saved. Other people have written in books. He went to Bible school and became a preacher and all kinds of stuff. But that, unless God just showed them that, and I don't know anything about it, that didn't happen. But uh, it's who do you say Jesus is? It comes back to what you say out of your mouth. Amen. And I could tell you so many tests. I won't tell you more because time's sake, but I could tell you so many wonderful, marvelous miracles tonight. But it all starts with what what, what you say, what 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 you're going to say about it. So, you know, in the days to come, as the devil sticks his ugly head up, uh, I pray you hear my voice in your ears saying, what are you going to say about it? Who do you say Jesus is? And faith will rise up with you, and you'll, you'll declare what needs to be declared. Amen. And start just getting real familiar with who Jesus is. He is. He is your healer. He is your doctor, your lawyer, your banker, your financier, your helper. Just, 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 just let that roll around the inside of you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.